Hello, Internet. A few things before the show starts. First, we'd like to give a shout-out to our two newest patrons, Charlotte and Greg. Thank you and all our other patrons for the support. You all help make this podcast possible. In other news, we wanted to talk to you about something before the show. After some self-reflection, we at the Drunken Ugly feel somewhere in the past we might have given off the appearance of not wanting criticisms for our work. We would like to express our deepest apologies for this. We need your opinions, both good and bad, about our games. Starting from today on, we will open up a critique or criticism thread on the forums and would like to hear all of your critiques, good or bad, for the show. Those listening on iTunes or other podcast aggregators, if you'd like to comment, please visit our site, drunkenugly.com, and leave a comment there. Or if you want to visit these mysterious forums I'm talking about, click on the Drunken Ugly forums link on the main site and throw us a line. Finally, we have an Anon box at drunkenuglysuggestions.tumblr.com if you prefer a more anonymous means of leaving your criticism. In other news, Matt and myself have started a spin-off podcast called Ugly Talk. There we review and discuss the nitty-gritty of translating media to and from tabletop gaming. You can check it out at theyknowthings.tumblr.com or find us on iTunes. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi everybody, thanks for coming today. Uh, welcome to Indie Design the Chicken Salad, uh, Indie Design the Chicken Salad Way, Ross Payton, um, formerly known as Indie Design the Chicken Salad Way, uh, des- designing games uh, with the Drunk and the Ugly and Ross Payton. Right. Thanks, Gen Con. Thanks for cutting us out of our own panel. <laughs> um, so, uh, I think we can briefly introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm Matt Camp, and I run the Drunk and the Ugly. I'm also co-owner of Drunk and Ugly Games LLC. Um, we are an indie publishing company, which is why I'm running this panel to talk about the things that we learned as being an indie publishing company. Uh, I, I'm Ross Payton with Roblin Bubble Radio. Uh, I am the co-host of Roblin Bubble Radio. It's an RPG podcast, also RPPR, actual play, uh, recorded game sessions. Uh, I also write and publish RPGs. I also freelance uh, for various RPG studios. My own books uh, are Zombies of the World, uh, which is not an RPG. It's just like a fictional take on zombies and a fictional guide to zombies and then uh, Base Raiders which is a superhero role playing game uh, super powered dungeon crawling like all the heroes and villains are gone you go in their bases and steal their stuff so dungeon crawling but in a superhero genre and buy my book at Arc Dream Booth 709 uh, after this panel um, and uh, I just published with the first adventure for it Boiling Point which is also available which is like a full base Matt play tested it and I play tested it a bunch of times it was written by RPPR fan Peter Nielsen yes well now he's a published author so now he's a published author he's, up, he's, he's, he's still up. he's not a fan anymore now he's a published yeah, yeah. author he's too big for you his ego is too powerful um, and um, our company has published a game called Sword of Dystopia which is a Victorian post-apocalyptic dark fantasy role-playing game um which we don't have for sale here because we don't have a booth, but you can pick it up on Drive Through RPG um, or any of the other one bookshelf companies. No. Yeah, uh, we didn't have enough money to keep printing books. <laughs> Print on demand is the way of the future for uh, indie designers. So. It is, truly. Um, All right, so uh, to start this panel off, um, I'll start off by explaining what the hell our title means because probably a lot of people were confused. Um, we call it the chicken salad way because um, this comes from this comes uh, from uh, newspaper printing. Uh, the idea comes from the old phrase: "All the mayonnaise in the world can't turn chicken shit into chicken salad." But the thing is, publishing a newspaper and also publishing in the RPGs is the act of doing just that. You have to you take um, in as much as you spend a lot of time writing. You spend a lot of time writing your game. You have this loosely connect collection of notes that you've play tested a few times with friends and. 
it seems like chicken salad to you, but you might send it out and everybody else says it's chicken shit. So we're going to, we're going to go through the, we're going to go through the, uh, I'm going to kind of go through the steps that we learned in this and uh, a number of anecdotes on how we learned this the hard way so that you can learn from our mistakes and we pass the savings on to you or something. Um, so let's see. Um, so Sword Dystopia uh, was the game that we published. This is the game I'm going to be talking about because it's so far the only game that we've published. Um, it was written by our own uh, Nathan Allen Knapp. Um, it started actually as a forum roleplay setting, which was called Dystopia, that he'd been running for six years. Um, and he had a whole lot of he had a whole lot of setting that he had he had written, but because it was a forum roleplay, there weren't any mechanics to it. But he kind of wanted to turn this into a tabletop game, so he had to kind of so it had to start with him sorting through the six years of assorted stuff written by various people. Uh, kind of paring that down into into the core elements that he wanted to uh, that he wanted to turn into a particular story that people could tell. So this takes us to step one that we learned, um, and probably the most important step is narrative focus and distillation. You want to make sure that your game is simple enough that you can get you can get the complete ideas of it across in a single sentence. So D and D, mythic adventurers that find loot, monsters are childish things, uh, monsters are real, they're friends with children. Uh, and adventures happen. And like I said, for sort of dystopia, uh, post-apocalyptic Victorian role-playing, uh, Ross Payne's Base Raiders, right. superhero dungeon crawling. Um, yeah, I mean, in some ways you think... The thing about role-playing games is there are literally, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of individual systems out there. And you, if you want to go to all the effort of creating your own game, you want to create a game that people will actually want to play. I, you know, I hope that's your goal. Um, and in that sense, you have to think, answer the question... Why should I play your new game rather than one of the many existing systems out there? And um, and I think it's a mistake to try and create a universe. A lot of some people try and create a universal system. Like, oh, I can you can do anything in it. That's like that's a mistake. You that's a mistake. Somebody already yeah. made Savage Worlds, and then somebody else made Fate and GURPS and GURPS and Chaosium DRP and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And D twenty, you know, you can yeah, do everything in D twenty. Yeah. Uh, the what? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you have to answer, like, what is unique about your game that will make people want to play it? And that's often usually a narrative hook. Like, what, like, for me, it's like, it's the dungeon, it's uh, the dungeon crawling genre mixed up in the superhero genre. So instead of a, a musty old uh, t- uh, tomb uh, filled with skeletons, you're in a mad scientist lab filled with, you know, robots and late death traps and that kind of thing. And, uh, and there are a lot of other ideas in it. It's more complex than that because it's also, uh, but that's, that's the, the basic pitch for it. And so, yeah, answer that question first. Why should people even care to play your role-playing game? What is unique? What separates it from everything else? And that's the narrative distillation, you know, yeah. the elevator pitch for it. There's, and there's also, I believe, for the other term the other term that comes around a lot when you talk about indie RPGs is the fantasy heartbreaker. Yeah. That's, again, going back, instead of the universal system, it's like a lot of people who want to make their own system, like, uh, they play D&D and only D&D or, you know, one system. And then, like, I could do this, but better. Mine's going to have cat people in it, you know. And, like, that's it, plus 500 pages of mounted combat rules, you know. like yeah. And, like, all the pole arms. There's not enough. Bohemian ear spoons are only the beginning. And you know what? You know? We need a battleship that does 6 billion damage and deer with 900 HP. Yeah, exactly. And... Um, you don't want to just try and recreate your own another game. 
Uh, if you're going to do a fantasy game, make it unique. Like, there's Sh Shadows of Estron is a fantasy game, but, like, it's medieval horror, you know? They're trying a very particular thing, and they have a very horrific element uh, uh, theme for it. So um, that separates it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, following up on this, we had a whole setting... Um, we did uh, kind of the first, kind of the one, so having an established setting and paring it down to the elements that worked was an actual, like, that was a, that was a smart thing we did while we were publishing because it, um, it gave us a specific, like, kind of hook to work for and a kind of specific, uh, a kind of specific uh, thing that our game would do. Now, the other problem from this is we did make a major mistake that a lot of indie developers made that um, somehow we managed to play through, which was we started with our grand vision of making a whole system and a whole book um, and drawing from this whole mythos that we had and trying to make trying to make our first project be make an entire game, like make an entire game from the ground up. And since this was our first time at like actually trying to publish something, we uh, we spent three years publishing this game, which is. Um, well, working on it before. You well, yeah, it. yeah, working. Okay, yeah, working on this game. We spent one we so. Um, and a lot of that comes in all the parts that we didn't understand about just how grand the scale of this project was when we sat down to it. It's like, oh, we've got a setting. We just have to put some mechanics to it, and it's that easy, right? Um, yeah. Because we were stupid. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, one thing is if you want to publish your own... I assume... Does everybody here want to make their own game, and that, that's why you're here? Um, okay. Um, yeah, one thing it helps is yeah, yeah, don't bite up more than you can chew. So if you're going to try and make your own standalone game... Uh, try to get some experience in all the aspects of creating a book, of creating a role-playing game. Uh, so maybe you do some freelance work and you get the sense of like writing and the editorial process. Uh, here at Gen Con, you can make a lot of contacts to try and get work as a freelance writer. Um, and maybe you make some pocket change. <laughs> um, but because making a book isn't just writing it, you have to edit the text, then you have to get somebody, to, and then you uh, probably want some art for it. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also you want to think, and not, and going back to sort of the narrative distillation, sometimes what you want to do isn't necessarily the setting or the story, it's something mechanically interesting you want to do. Like, Fiasco doesn't have a setting, it's like a way to play a game. It's a GMless game, and you're trying to emulate Coen Brother movie, you know. Movies that are kind of like about people scamming each other, scheming, and then fucking up, and then like everything goes horrible. And like, so if that's your thing, that's what you want to do something mechanics, that's fine. So it doesn't have to be the story, it's just, um, I just want to get that point across. So yeah, try and get a sense of the entire process before you tackle it in there. Because it's very easy to underestimate how difficult something is if you have no experience in it. And you're like, you know, oh, heart surgery, you just cut them open, cut, cut one, you know, you play Surgeon Simulator once, you mm -hmm. think you can, you know, uh, do heart surgery, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna go for it, you're gonna have a bad time. Yeah. Uh, well, the patient's gonna have a real bad time, but, you know. Uh, it's gonna be short, at least. <laughs> well, not necessarily if you're that bad, you know, like, uh, I cut your stomach open, sorry, you know, uh, I thought it was a little lower, um, but yeah. All right. So that takes us to um, our that takes us to our um, once you have your distillation uh, and or your narrative focus, uh, that takes us to step two, which is kind of refinement. You want to make sure you want to make sure that at, that um, at the at the base your game is accessible to anybody who wants to anybody who wants to play it, including first time role players. And this is where you start taking all of your loose notes you have with no structure, kind of rebuilding them. Uh, figuring out, figuring out like what parts are necessary and essential to be there, and this takes us to our second pitfall uh, that we should have that we should have done and somehow didn't. We did a lot of testing of this game, 
but we did a lot of testing specific all our testing always included the author and he ran most of our stuff and as an author, as a designer, you are the worst tester for your game after a certain point. So the most important thing you want to have, you want to do before you get to any stage where you start having money trade hands for any reason, have other people play your game, have other people play your game with no context, just going from the book, and listen to listen to the things that listen to the things that they say. Take it honestly because they that that's why you're sending it to them. Um, so in our case, we had. We spent a year writing and testing this game. We had a system put out, and we st- we put out a Kickstarter, which was our first time that we were uh, we got we actually managed to get funding, and we uh, we sent the book out to a bunch of people to play test, and we're like, oh, we just got to make a little. We we've spent we spent a bunch of time. We've uh, Nate's written this game over twice. We've got we've got everything pretty well formatted. I feel like we understand it. Um, and he's run a lot of games out of it, and then we got notes coming back from people that. Um, was this when I ran it for you? Uh, well, there were a bunch of other ones, but you okay. you had the most things to say. But there were also people. It's like there's not enough there's not enough equipment in this game, um, or what is it? There, yeah, there's not enough equipment in this game. How does the currency in this game make any sense? Because uh, we used an abstracted wealth stat to to you roll to actually buy things, but people wanted to be able to explain like. If I'm buying something, it's not just that just happens. Like, they wanted to be able to explain how much money somebody was trading for something or the act of buying a good, and that wasn't in there. Um, um, yeah, I mean... The, and then Ross gave us, like, the most... Uh, gave us the most feedback that was, I read your entire book, and I don't know what to write with it. Yeah. Because um, Nate was way too familiar with the setting. He'd been writing adventures... He made a lot of assumptions. Yeah, yeah. He made, he wrote, he'd been writing adventures in the setting for six years, so yeah. he knew what he was doing with it. Right. Uh, but... The thing, remember, a role-playing game is, the idea is of anyone can buy your book, read your book, and then play a game with it. And, like, they don't get you. You don't You don't copy your mind. You know, we're not in Eclipse phase yet. We can't, you know, uh, fork your brain and put a robot you in every copy of the book. So you don't get to come along, and you don't want to run tech support for everybody else. So you have to do uh, basically a blind playtesting where strangers are just given the book, you shut up. And they give you feedback. Uh, and to go back, um, you know, part of this refinement process is also like outlining your book and figuring out what you need. Um, look at other games that are kind of similar to what you're trying to do, and look at their table of contents and figure out what they have and why they have it there. Um, you know, like how much setting material do you need? How much game mechanics do you need? Do you really need the currency rules? And then obviously the playtesting feedback will go into that. Um, so, yeah, you definitely want to get feedback because writers can't edit their own text. Uh, if, you are, if you're all familiar, you know, like, because when you're a writer, you fill in the spaces automatically. You don't realize you're missing a two or a the or something like that, some, you know, a uh, little word that, like, oh, wait, yeah, that makes no sense now. Um, so you kind of, uh, and, yeah, RPGs are a collaborative thing, so get people to, to help out. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And um, one of the other things is when you're doing these kinds of things, uh, when you're also kind of editing things down and paring it down, this isn't to say that any mechanic that doesn't that isn't essential, like just delete it and forget about it, like set it aside, leave it for um, let's see, uh, leave it for uh, another uh, a final kind of, um, and this is this is going to be an iterative process. You're going like just keep in mind the act of publishing is the act of writing something about ten times, um, yeah. maybe more. 
and well, we also live in an era now where, like, you know, with print-on-demand publishers, you if you fuck up in the text, you can just, like, edit that PDF, re-upload it, and anybody else who buys it, you know, drive through RPG, they'll send out an email. It's like, oh, you've named, I may, I, I done messed up. Here's what I fixed. Uh, so they can get a new PDF, and obviously if you they have a print copy, they're kind of screwed, but that's better than nothing. Um, and that's why, of course, you want to have a good playtesting period, you know, want to have editors and beta readers and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Um, and so, uh, in kind of the kind of the um, the last the last major step of of actually taking your of taking your chicken shit and compiling it into a delicious chicken salad, um, just uh, as you as you kind of just build build on your build on the fundamentals and kind of keep every stage of this every stage of this keep uh, keep coming back to the first two steps like. When I add when I add this part, am I still do I still have a simple, clear distillation? Is this game still very explainable? Make sure that make sure that um, all the new things that are coming in are understandable to a new player. Um, and that was these were the lessons that we took along in the what we expected to be four months to publish Sword Dystopia that turned into like two and a half years. Um, as we went through, and uh, we ended up taking all the things from play, we ended up taking all the things from player feedback. So, like, we got things, we got things that players are like, there's, there's not enough weapons, they don't have enough variety. Like, a sword is just d6, but it's not any different than a mace. And then you have bows, and then you have guns that have really nebulous rules. So we ended up throwing in like, all right, there's all, every different culture has all their own different kinds of weapons they've created based on all their different philosophies and their modes of fighting, and also the technology level of this particular culture. Um, and we also uh, we also ended up, um, I think, in the case of Ross, there in Ross's case, it's like they have guns, but they or they, they don't have guns, but they have lots of bullets. And so yeah, we ended well, up. I mean, of, for yeah. me, like uh, when I was playtesting his game, is that I read the PDF that they sent me, and there was like I didn't get a sense of what players were supposed, like what a game was supposed to be about, like what was supposed to happen in it. There wasn't right. like a constant narrative thread. Like, for a role-playing game, it is about it is a story about a conflict, and usually it's about a group of people who do a thing because of reasons, you know? They kill the monster in the cave because it has gold, and the players want that gold. Or you there's, a, there's you know, monsters in the school, and you gotta go get the monsters, uh, stop the monster from eating the kids, uh, or, you know, whatever the, whatever the theory is. So you, you uh, kind of want to have that strong narrative sense, uh, sense of purpose. Yeah. So, yeah. And one of the things was that Nate... Um, um, Nate was a uh, Nate was a novelist before, like he was trained in classical writing, and so he also this is a thing that somehow all, I think all of us avoided because we understood the setting because we had Nate to explain it all to us. But as he was writing the game, he had all these like rich histories for all of the for all the different cultures. And the thing was, it didn't create any plot hooks because as a novelist, he was he was trained in like you write a you write a story, you have a beginning, middle, and end. And the problem is, if you're writing a role playing game, you need to leave it in the middle so that the so that the players can determine what the end is. Yeah, it's about setting up potential conflicts. Like a role playing game, you you create opportunity for conflict. Uh, if you want to look at a good example of this, like the writing for Eclipse Phase does this perfectly. Uh, Eclipse Phase is a science fiction RPG uh, set in the far future. Uh, horror based but if you read the settings they'll describe okay so here's what what's going on Mars and we heard rumors that the reason why this happened is because of this but it could be this uh, and we heard that something else over here could happen uh, and there's then these two these two factions are about to fight you know or we think that they are you know they're arming up and thing you know so there's uh, lots of rumors and innuendo there's nothing like canical like this happened for this exact reason um, there's a lot of mysteries like we don't know what this faction is doing there's hoarding resources they're yeah. building a secret space station we and don't I know mean, what even yeah. the 
core plot of the game uh, of, of Eclipse Phase is like this this rogue AI called Titan like wiped out Earth and then disappeared and we don't know why. Yeah. It's it's clearly not genocidal because if it wanted to wipe out humanity, it could have done it very easily. It's the principle of negative space. You have you create positive space of like here here's the continents, here's the the major elements of the game, but here's the negative space that you fill in as the GM and players, because they're collaborating with you to create their own story. So, um, I kind of feel like, since you guys are designers here, you want to design a game that I feel like questions and, like, where are you at with, in terms of your design? I mean, are you, because uh, we haven't talked about, like, using your own system or using an OGL, like, yeah. uh, open game license or Creative Commons license games. Like, you don't, if you're not a systems guy, like, I'm not a mechanics guy. I'm not, like, an expert guy who has that sense of mathematical balance. So my, my modus operandi is to find an existing system that's open game license, use that, and then put a setting on it, which I did, which is what I did with Base Raiders. I used the Fate system, which is open game license. Um, but that's one thing. And there's also publishing. That's a huge thing. You know, how do you know InDesign? Do you know this? Uh, Photoshop. Uh, yeah. Finding artists. Yeah. Finding other writers, uh, contracts, uh, Kickstarters, ton of issues. Patreon—that's now a thing. Uh, yeah, and we both have Patreons. Um, and that's a little different because it's more for an ongoing basis. But you could do it like you could set up a Kickstarter for, or I mean, a Patreon for sort of dystopian. Like, hey, every month we'll put up a new adventure if you give me a dollar. Yeah, you know, uh, or something like that. So I don't know. Like, where are you guys at? What do you want to know? Like, yeah, we like, have yeah. all this stuff. Yeah, we have we have a, we have a Ooh. lot of things. I, yeah, we can keep talking at you, but it's, yeah. it's there's enough. Yeah. That's yeah. why we're here, so you yeah. can talk to us. Yes. Uh, so my but, elevator pitch would be um, XCOM meets Elgish Horror. Uh, um, okay, excellent, yeah. So basically... Kind of a little Delta Greenish, but more tactical. Yeah, Delta, okay. yeah it would be a, uh, you know, organization of some kind, whether it's SAP, Delta Green. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Probably have like a, you know, generic kind of, you know, setting for the campaign. You know, sure, sure. The campaign, but okay. essentially like the cult has... Succeeded, and a uh, the El- an LG entity is uh, beginning to wake up. Yeah, uh, they didn't do it quite right, so it's a very slow process. He hit the snooze button. Got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's groggy after now. You know? yeah, okay, yeah. So essentially, there's going to be a GM mini game where the Eldritch forces will get you know uh, more magic or research, mm-hmm. and, you know, and then be able to pull uh, you know more entities from his you know okay. over time. Sure. Yeah, much like okay, so what, what's the problem you're having with it? Or, like, uh, or, or, I mean, where are you at? Yeah, where are I'm you? Mostly in the concept. I've started writing a little bit, but my main concern is, uh, you know, my goal was to have, you know, unique creatures and then kind of dress the color to do the mission order. Okay. So you're not worried about mechanics or anything like that? Right, so my... So, you know, so you're worried with the mythos and the, that kind of pre-existing stuff? No, actually. I want to create, you know, rules for generating your own monsters, your own elders. Right, right. Okay. Uh, um, some games have done that. What was that game? Um, uh, Something Legions? Yeah, Silent like Legion. Silent Legion. Silent Legion. Silent Legion. Silent yeah. So, so that's what you want to do. Um, right. Okay. Um, do you are you using an existing system or are you going to make up your own? I plan to pick back up Well, that's not an open game license. Yeah, so yeah, you'd have not, to you'd have to talk yeah, to that's, Chaosium. You would have to get a, and Chaosium is sort of in flux right now. They're they're yeah. kind of like they almost crashed and burned because they fucked up Kickstarters. That's, that's the thing about Kickstarter; it's not free money. Right. You actually need to work for it. Yeah. Um, and they almost crashed and burned, and so and they've never been an open game license. So that's a, that, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You can use yeah OGL system. Come up with your own. The thing is, you can't copyright game mechanics, so you can come up with your own personal system, but you just can't literally copy the Chaosium Call of Cthulhu. So yeah, um, so yeah, that's the first thing. Yeah, figure out what system you want to use. Um, you could use Gumshoe. Gumshoe is open game license, and uh, Knights Black Agent. Yeah, Knights Black Agent shows off how you can be very tactical in yeah. that. 
Yeah, gumshoe is a beautiful thing. Uh, so, first thing you need to figure out your system because uh, what I would do if I were you. So, if you want to like create, have the players can create crazy mom. GMs can create all kind, all kinds of weird shit to throw at players. That's the thing you want to do, right? Um, that's a cool, yeah. Especially for a tactical combat, you don't want players like, oh, pff, more deep one, you know, or yeah. more of those things. You want like every week, you want them, you know, like, oh god, what's gonna co- crawl out of the pit this week? Um, in that case, get up, get some mechanics. Don't worry so much about the setting first. Get your some mechanics with players, and then give it to GMs as soon as possible for some play testing. Because yeah, that's if, that's what you want. You and if, yeah, if the tactical focus is on this, then or if the focus is on tactical combat, then it should. Um, I think one of the things that was said is D, is D and D Fourth Ed worked perfectly as a tactical war game. You stripped all the story out of it. So in your case, even with all the mythos stuff, you, if you want a tactical game, you should make sure that all of the actual combat stuff works the way you want it to. Yeah. So I would start looking at mechanics first, and then worry about the setting stuff later. Because like that's enough setting material for the playtest. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so starting from starting from zero, say you know you have a game together. How do you move from okay, have a game to getting people interested in your game? Uh, well, get a web like this is the age of social media. Like, get a website, get a blog, yeah. um, and there's start a lot talk- of yeah. There's a lot of free ways to advertise. Uh, go to um, RPG.net has forums. Uh, Ian World has forums. Us, our Roleplay Bill Radio has forums. Yeah. Uh, feel free to post there. Um, Go to trade shows and hand yeah, stuff out. Yeah, yeah, Gen Con. Uh, do play test here at Gen Con. Like, um, you could sign up for events. Like, hey, I want to play test a game. They have things that will help new publishers out. Like, there's like a play test alley or like some sort of like, hey, play test new games that are coming out. It was right by the main convention hall, so you could check that out. Um, but yeah, build a presence and be like, here's what I'm doing, um, and get people psyched about it and like get like, for, I know for RPPR, um, one of the co-hosts of it, uh, Caleb. Uh, is doing his own game called Bread Markets. He's just doing now doing a beta for his game, and he's been working on this for like two years, and he's got like two one hundred and fifty thousand words written on it, and yeah. so like it's a big old thick book. Um, but he's sending PDFs out to people, and he's been psyching people that for a year. So start building an internet, a fan base, basically. Um, yeah. Another question. Sure. Okay. Um, so I noticed. Especially since this is my first time at Gen Con, and mm. since coming here, I've, I'm a big fan of Lovecraft, but I've come to see just how, like, oversaturated with, like, like everything is, like, oh, it's, like, dark medieval fantasy, but with Lovecraft, everything's, like, X, with Lovecraftian twist. Like, so I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like, just, like, my currently an idea I'm working on has, like, Lovecraftian stuff in it. So, um, I don't know if my question is just, like, how... How long do you think it will be before, you know, before that gets old and, like, isn't... Vampires aren't old. I yeah, mean, like, people... Vampires, are, vampires yeah, aren't like, old. Like, zombies are currently in fatigue, and there's still plenty of There's still The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah there's still... Yeah, like, like... I bought it's, a new zombie game yesterday. Yeah, like... You're, you are going to run it you are going to run into the sort of into the into the sort of fatigue like that's just kind of that's kind of a thing that's going to happen and I you, mean, can't, you can't control the market is the thing the thing you, is you can't if control you, popular in, there, there, there are people who are going to be li- loving that shit for the rest of their lives like me you know and yeah. so like if you can do like some unique twist to it like uh, if you want to get inspired by it like go to Pelgrim Press they have like um, the Book of Unremitting Horror which has some like cosmic horror shit in it like some really horrific monsters but they're very unique um, and then there's things like Silent Legions and there's a lot of new interesting 
interesting twists. So it's not just being Lovecraftian, it's being Lovecraftian but this. and Because it, Lovecraftian is just shorthand for cosmic horror. Cosmic horror is like a base genre of modern horror. Like, yeah. we live in a very cosmic horror universe. Because, like, uh, are we alone in the universe? Either answer is terrifying, you know. Um, so, yeah, does that help a little? Um, but, yeah, it, it don't worry about, like, if you, it, it's not that, you know, everything's been done. Everything in the universe has been any idea. Everything's can, a remix. Yeah, everything's a remix. Everything's a remake. Um, so it's just how well you execute it, and whether you have some new angle on it. You know, uh, if you can do some, it's similar but different. You know, like if you watch the, a great horror movie, are you never going to watch a horror movie again? Because it's like, oh, there's a monster. <laughs> Lame. That's unoriginal. You know. So yeah, uh, don't worry. So yeah, just worry about like, can I make a good Lovecraftian thing? Uh, so yeah, question. Yes. Uh, we still just talk about our systems and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, systems, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we started in high school, what, five years ago? Okay. And it was just like a group of five or six of us at this point. We've been sure. working on it for, for five years now. And it, we, we made, actually, we, The system is you're talking about? Or it's yeah, the whole yeah. game? Okay. When you started your speech, you sort of just took a giant dump on our system every time. You're like, don't do this. Like, ah, oh, crap, we did that. Oh. <laughs> so it's, it's, it is open. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, well, it's a learning process. Right. I mean, like, you have to make mistakes before you can learn. You yeah. Before you like, Sucking's the first step towards getting good at something. That's yeah. true. That's true. Thank we, you, Jacob. We did that. <laughs> I mean, Hemingway wrote like a thousand pages before he, he had anything publishable. So anyway, so yeah. So well, we actually didn't do anything really for narrative at all. We, we, we focused almost entirely on mechanics and sure. have a system. And like so far, we've done it fairly well that, you know, our DM's like, oh, well, let's do zombies this week. All right. Our next week's like, oh, let's do vampires and werewolves. And like, yeah. every time, that's, that's what we wanted was a system that could, you know, handle any narrative you wanted to throw at it. Yeah, at least you know. I mean, I say uh, don't do a universal game, but like Monty Cook, you know, who knows a little bit about game design, just came out. He has a cipher system, you know. But what he's doing is like he uses the cipher system for like several games that are related but are different, like Numenera, um, the Strange. Um, there's like one other, isn't there? Some cipher system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, the what? That's kind of what we were thinking. We were gonna yeah. Do, like, so use your own engine and then yeah. put a different like Savage Worlds. So like, yeah, yeah. If you want to do angels and demons in this? It's like okay. Yeah, Savage Worlds. Yeah. yeah, kind of model. So yeah, that's fine. It's but we just... don't have like a story for the main. Yeah, like there's no real. We don't have a story. For right, but do you have? Do you have a? Is there a? Is there a genre or a particular t- or a particular type of fiction that it follows? Yeah, what's gonna be your flagship? Uh, right now, all, the only thing we have is that's very simple. Every roll in the game is on two d six. There are twelve stats total in the game. Everything comes from it. So whenever you make a roll, if it's your first time playing roll two d six, the DM will tell you those two stats. That's your number. Yeah. Twenty second character gen, and it's realistic. That's the only other thing we've got. Okay. So like modern, um, more or less. Like yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it's, um, I mean, I would build up a company website, have a demo, put out a demo PDF, see if you can get people hyped about it, put out some actual plays, like record stuff to YouTube or just a, a podcast, um, and see if you can build a fan base that way. Um, but I would try, like, mechanics alone, like, you do need some kind of narrative hook, because this right. is a role-playing game, it is about a story, so come up with some kind of unique twist to it, um. Uh, yeah, but then we get uh, yeah. I just want to add to that. I obviously have no idea like how many games you guys have read or anything yeah. like that. But I just found the one thing that was helpful for me writing was just reading RPGs as literature and just like the more the more like PDFs I got and just like read through like the better the games that I designed got because I could see how they would use mechanics to enforce what they're trying to do in the setting yeah. or 
you know, things like that. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely want to, like, if you're a game designer, you want to constantly be learning, like, and not, and don't be, you know, and so, like, read other games, even if they're not in your preferred genre. And I think that this is another thing to add, like, Fate is a general system, but Fate, yeah. Fate has a, Fate has a couple different flagship games, like, they're, like, Spirit of the Century, I think, mm-hmm. is, is the big one that it does a good job, it does a good job of putting all the mechanic, putting all the Fate mechanics together, like, you can use Fate, you can use Fate to run anything, but they published a bunch of games that used all their mechanics before they published a, you can use this to write whatever story you feel like. And in a general, Fate is, Fate is sort of a do anything system but all the mechanics are kind of set up to make it very pulpy so yours is supposed to be like kind of real it's sort of be sort of sort of realistic and like action focused is what you're kind of saying yeah yeah so come up with a setting that emphasizes that you know like uh i don't know like urban combat something you know like being like some sort of crime i don't know that's the first thing off my head would be like something i i, I recently watched a city of god again or city uh um uh, police squad that that was one like it's Brazilian cops going into the, the the poor neighborhoods and just shooting everybody and so like it's fast and like people die and you know it's a very violent movie and so something like that could be novel and interesting like that kind of setting uh, but also keep in mind fate also has sort of an agenda it's not a universal system in a sense because it's all Every fate game is about player agency. You have fate points, and you can control the narrative to a certain right. degree. Like GURPS is not like that. It's like let's simulate. Hey, how much do you want to know about encumbrance rules? We got you covered. Yeah, uh, GURPS is all about stuff you can bolt on, depending on how much math you want to do. Yeah, like, do you want to break out trigonometry? Got do you want to have mass rules. combat? Do you want to have mass combat? Do you want to raise armies and have them fight with kind of realistic rules? Uh, you could do that, or you could have super sci-fi meet caveman. Uh, mystics um, that's not even like in the top 10 of weirdest things GURPS has done um, uh, Kung Fu Bunnies with psychic powers you know fighting vampires um, shit like that um, so you gotta th- you gotta distinguish yourself in the marketplace and um, so build start building your fan base once you once you feel you have something worthy the other thing is also you know make sure it's something you think people would actually be interested in you don't want to show your rough draft you want to put some polish on it get some art for whatever you're doing so but yeah, any other questions like in the back we've kind of heard. Uh, yes? Well, this might help you guys out too. So I've been working for maybe a year now a core system that is able to, you know, mm-hmm. different things. Because I started out playing groups like six oh, years yeah. ago. So, and I hate it now. But <laughs> it's a long relationship. But, you know, I have a mechanics mindset. So mechanics are something that I can understand that I can build into and enjoy. But when it comes to a setting, I can enjoy playing it and GMing it and stuff like that, but creating a setting is a lot more work for me. Like, it's not something that comes easy. Yeah. So, yeah. No, the, that brings up a good point. Uh, one thing is, um, you can't, uh, putting a book together requires a lot of different skill sets, and because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're good at another thing. And so you have to kind of just figure out how you want to do the division of labor. Um, like, I can't draw at all. So for what I did for base raiders was I paid artists and I paid them up front and I was well, and then it's like I'll pay you part of it up front and then I'll pay you the rest once the Kickstarter meets and that was my goal and uh, and I used contracts that's another thing you have to worry about like yeah. are you going to share or are you going to do work for hire I used work for hire contracts because it was my idea it was my book and I wanted to have ownership of it you like set up an LLC to share ownership of it because you were sharing it with other people right 
Yeah. Uh, well, we also yeah, it w- it was that and all and also um, like liability protection and stuff like that. And in case there in case there was somebody who's like, oh, this is this is my thing and I I own it. Yeah. You owe me money now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's another thing. It is starting kind of like a small business. Do you want to be a sole proprietor and then front the money yourself or whatever skills you can't cover, uh, yeah. or do you want to share it with someone else? Like you three are probably. Uh, if you don't have a contract that d- distinguishes like who owns what, in case of that, you should get yeah. on that like have it in writing sign it like it's for it it will save you much trouble later on and i was like if you want to sell it to someone else like if monty cook wants to buy your system then like you it really helps to like we own this and we get the money split this way and it just makes things a lot easier yeah um and like for kickstarter and shit like that so um but that's a huge topic in of itself um but yeah any people else oh all right yeah I just want to make sure I don't want to leave anybody out. Yeah, I want to. Yeah. Um, Kickstarter advice. Okay. Uh, where, where, where do you want to start? Uh, so. Okay, well, the first thing, like I said, it's not free money. So yeah. you need to have, it's about leveraging an existing fan base of people. Like, yeah. uh, we both have podcasts where we have active, devoted listeners who are like, listen to our, our stuff every week. And that was the core of both of our successful Kickstarters. It's like, yeah. hey, look, we've been talking about this thing on the podcast for a long time, and now we're going to do it. You can give us money for it. Yay. And they're like, yay. And everybody's like, cool. And then like, oh God, I have so much work to do. Um, yeah. uh, so that's the first thing is you can't just, if you go up blind and do it without a fan base, you're going to. Uh, it's, you're going to be uphill. It's yeah. Be uphill, so, and I mean the other. I think the other part of it is uh, is the same thing as like uh, is the same part as like marketing anything else. Um, uh, contrary to contrary to the popular adage, everybody judges a book by its cover. Make sure that make sure your pitch up front is easily understood and gets across everything that you want. Make sure that you have art for the game that clearly that clearly like shows off what you're expecting the game to be like. Um, make no, sure that well, you do need good cover art. Yeah, like if you're doing a book, have good cover art. Yeah, have right? good have good cover art, but in general, in general, have money. a yeah. Put put production value into put production value into your Kickstarter pitch because you got to spend money to make money. Um, well, the other thing is also um, and marketing. You'll be where it's like kind of like a part time or full time job depending on how much work you've done ahead at time. Like I didn't do. I didn't spend all my when I ran Kickstarter. I didn't spend all day just plugging it online because I already had a podcast and already had like that was a big thing. Um, but if you don't have that, um, then you want to go out like send out press releases, send out like hey hey RPG blog, will you talk about my game? Hey RPG podcast, will you do that? I mean, I get those all the time, and I don't often do it, but sometimes I do because it's and it's not like I I'm, ugh, screw you guys. It's just like I'm overworked. So don't take it personally either. So you have to, like, for every 50 or 100 messages sent out, you might get one reply. But that's what you got to do. Go on message boards. Uh, so it's not about buying banner ads. You yeah. know, you might experiment with banner ads and paid advertising, but your best thing is just time spent going on Twitter, going on Facebook, going on BoardGameGeek or uh, RPG.net or all of the above. Um, and um, the other thing is also... Um, you also have to manage the project in the sense you have to manage expectations and manage shit. Like, I just talked about Chaosium, and they almost went bankrupt. They almost, the company was, has been around for 40 years, and they almost lost everything because they fucked up the Kickstarter so bad. And those Kickstarters raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. The 7th edition Call of Cthulhu and Horror on the Orient Express. And the reason why they fucked it up so badly... Uh, like in Horror on the Orient Express, Horror on the Orient Express, I'm sorry, I'm talking too fast, um, 
is a big campaign for Call of Cthulhu, and that's Chaosium's wheelhouse. They do Call of Cthulhu adventures real good, but they had rewards that had nothing to do with their strengths as a company. They were like, you could buy toothpicks as an add-on for the goddamn thing. You, know, you buy, you have a wooden chest with like tickets and all this awesome stuff and mugs and t-shirts, and like that's a lot of work and effort. And you get more money for it, but you wind up losing money because of the effort. You know? Yeah, I think that's that's a probably number one thing for a Kickstarter. Figure out your budget. Figure out, um, figure out uh, like you you have to have a minimum goal to meet. So figure out the absolute minimum that that you need to meet. And also, if you're adding other things, especially if you have to hand produce them and mail them out. Uh, keep in mind, like the time and money it's gonna take. It's gonna take to make something. Keep in mind shipping costs. Although shipping, Kickstarter actually got nice and actually started adding shipping costs after uh, I did mine. Well, like <laughs> the way it worked originally is shipping costs were added to your Kickstarter goal, even though it doesn't really help. Um, like if you have a book and it costs twenty dollars, you know, and it it costs the back of twenty dollars to buy that book, and then ten dollars for shipping. Kickstarter would, add, would have added thirty dollars to your goal, but that ten dollars you're not really getting because you have to spend it for shipping anyway. Yeah. Um, so what I would recommend though for shipping, because shipping, the thing about shipping is it fucking sucks. Uh, oh yeah. Well, and also like international, in like yeah. Kickstarter's international. You're not, you know, where you're in one place, and uh, the U.S. Post Office rates, uh, international shipping rates have gone up every year uh, a lot. And they tripled so, since I did my Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, so what I would recommend to you is to look at DriveThruRPG as a print-on-demand service, uh, which means... In case, uh, are you all familiar with print-on-demand? Okay. Uh, okay, print-on-demand means um, instead of, like, normally you do offset run, which is like, I want to have a book. Okay, you go to a printing company, and they print 500 or 1,000 copies or however many copies, and then they ship them to you, and you have a pallet of books. Great job. Uh, print-on-demand means you go to the place, you go to a website, you order a book, they print that one copy of that book and then they mail it to you. Um, so you don't have to keep inventory. You don't have that pallet of books in your garage. Uh, um, and um, so what the thing is print on demand also means they have printing company, they have printing presses in Europe and uh, other, around the world. So instead of having to ship a book from America to the UK, you can just have it printed in the UK and do that. So what you do is uh, you give them a coupon code that they enter in that they can print the book at the cost yeah so you get instead of like if your book costs fifteen dollars you charge them ten dollars and then they spend five dollars to print it later on when the book is ready to go so that saves you a so much trouble and frustration so i definitely recommend doing that uh print on demand uh that kind of thing so i mean is that what you guys did with sword or uh sword well sword of dystopia um well the problem with sword of dystopia that we're actually still running into is that uh, the highest reward tier was that uh, Nate would actually hand bind the books and then ship them out. Yeah. So because he knows how to hand bind things. So he regrets that now, don't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially since um, f- like four of uh, there were there were six there were six people that could have gotten it. Four of them, uh, f- three of them are in Sweden. One of them is in Australia. So. We're yeah. gonna. We have to ship an entire like. We have to ship an entire like three hundred page book to three different countries, um, yeah. with with the cost of international custom shipping. Custom forms. Hey, yeah. I filled out many custom forms. Yeah. I spent nights filling out custom forms. Goddamn. Um, so, 
know what your strengths are and know what you can actually do. It's very easy to be like, we'll add this and we'll add this. It's like there's stretch goals. Does everyone know what a stretch goal is? Uh, yes, like your goal is six thousand dollars. At seven thousand dollars, I'll do this, and at eight thousand, and the problem is like people will do stretch goals that have nothing to do with your book uh, or your project. They're like, oh, we'll add an entirely different book. What you should do is make your stretch goals based like we'll add a chapter to the existing book. We'll add more art to the book, or like what Posthuman did one time was like, we'll pay our writers more money, and I was like, yay, because I was a writer on that project. <laughs> Um, so you want to do things like that uh, that will improve the quality of the project instead of adding new products uh, entirely um, and uh, those are kind of the basics you want to have a video definitely do a video um, try and make it not a dude in front of a webcam saying give me money um, you want to have I mean doing videos is sort of outside of your real house but try and make them nice that's yeah that's a thing that was a problem on Kickstarter for a while was there were a lot of people that that their videos, their videos were not about their product. It was about how they needed money and how they didn't have money. And make sure that at no point in there do you ex- do you explain do you explain money other than do, nice do, do, no, do you never explain money other than like hey if if I it, you know it would be it would be good to have some. Oh yeah, never I'd make this. <laughs> And never do the thing where, like, oh, hi, I didn't notice you there. I'm doing a thing on Kickstarter. Like, there's a montage of, like, a few dozen projects that do that. Like, the Kickstarter staff did that. Like, they made a montage, like, goddamn, don't be these guys. Um, I mean, they weren't assholes about it, but, like, yeah, you could tell that, like, Jesus, another, oh, I didn't see you there. Um, because they have to approve every project that comes out. Like, um, so the other thing is, once so once you do it, uh, keep promoting on a daily basis. There's um, really good groups, and um, like on Facebook, there's the Tabletop RPG Kickstarter group, uh, where people who do this trade industry news and like talk about what you're doing. Like if you have spe- like specific components, or like you want dice for your game, you know, specially made dice or uh, board game components or shit like that, then yeah. Um, so you can get advice from them. So, like, a lot of this is also networking with other professionals because, like, yeah. RPG industry is pretty, like, whatever. You know, we'll just talk. We're, there's not, like, it's not a cutthroat. Well, no, I will get, keep my trade secrets to the grave. Yeah, you did, yeah. um, that comes to another point that yeah. keeps coming up over and over again. Don't ever, like, make anybody sign an NDA for your game. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> ever. such a nobody, nobody care. You, you can't copyright the mechanics, and no, nobody's going to care enough to steal whatever yeah, your special if, thing is it about just, your game. It's just like, like I don't, I'd rather not sign a contract if it's, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. You, you're going you're gonna to lose a lot of people, and there's, yeah. It, it also kind of... There, there's the, like Ross was saying, like nobody cares. It's all very informal. Everybody talks to everybody. It's it's love. It's love. Somebody slaps down legal paperwork, and it's like I don't trust anybody. Yeah, it's it's not a good idea, um, because um, yeah, it's not the movie industry. It's not the comic book industry. It's a very small industry. Um, and yeah, so any other questions? Any other questions? So, I mean, that's kind of the basics of Kickstarter. Uh, basic best practices. Uh, spend a lot of time researching it. Uh, make sure your text for your Kickstarter tech, uh, for your Kickstarter is like very well edited. Don't have any typos. Uh, people do it. Like it happens. Um, make sure your video is good. Make sure you have updates. You update on a regular basis, even after after you do the Kickstarter. 
fucking remember to update, like, hey, we're still working on the thing, you know, if you're going to be late, yeah, you're going to be late. The number you're go- all going to be late, all right? You're all going to do it late, yeah. you know, uh, because it's just the nature of the beast. And, like, uh, yeah, I worked for three years in customer service. The thing that customers customers like getting updates, even if the update is, hey, we're still working on it. Yeah. Like, they, if there's a lack of communication, everybody thinks you took their money and ran. Yeah, don't don't be that guy. Um so any other questions? Are you any guys in the back? Uh, you haven't talked about anything? Like, you guys have games you want to... What yeah. type of uh, contracted work did you do for the paint uh, art? What did you do? Uh, it's called a work-for-hire contract, uh, which means... There are different types of contracts. Um, work-for-hire generally means, like, the, I pay the artist, the artist does a picture, and once I give them all the money, I get the copyright to that art. So I own the art legally, so I can do whatever I want with it. Now, there are, of course, exceptions for it. And so there's, there, uh, there are a lot of boilerplate contracts, which are, like, standard forms. That general you can, agreements. Yeah, general agreements that you can change the forms. In general, like, the artist would get a, the right to use that art for their portfolio. So, like, yeah, there's no reason you can't let them do that. Um, yeah, but, like, you want to keep the – because the other thing is if you don't have the copyright on it, then if you want to reprint your book – um, you need to get their permission again, or shit like that. So that's why I do it, just because. I mean, I pay, uh, I pay, you know, a decent amount of money for what I, the art I get. Uh, so that's why I do. But if you know the artist, or if it's one of you guys who's doing the art, then you can work out something else. Um, professional artists will probably have forms that they will send you, uh, or you could send them forms and then be like, oh, can you add this or do this? So it's negotiation. So. Um, if you want a good one, get a find a copyright lawyer and get them to you know give you a generic form to sign or go to LegalZoom uh, or LegalZoom stuff like that. Um, but yeah, work for hire. That's what I generally do, just because I'm a sole proprietor. So yeah, uh, but yes. When you doing like testing stuff, yeah. When you stop that, you just like until. You're um, never going to be satisfied enough with the thing that you write. I think Nathan Fillion famously said that he never watches any movie he's in because all he can think of is how he could have done it better. Yeah. So, I think um, the point the point that you stop testing is when you, is when the feedback that comes back is generally positive from people. And I think the the other thing going to another creative person on a different topic, Wheezy Waiter, uh, or uh, I can't remember what his actual name is, but Wheezy Waiter said, "How do you know a thing you've written is good?" when you've worked on it for so long that you don't even know if it's good or not anymore and you don't know what good is. Uh, yeah, in general, you... I mean, if you do a Kickstarter project, you generally have a timeline and you don't want to be too late. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the other thing. The, the, the beautiful thing, set a deadline because then you know when you have to be done. Please don't be Far West. Uh, far West... We started our game after Far West. We went way over budget. We still finished printing they our raised, game before Far West. They raised 50 grand for a Wuxia Kung Fu meets Wild West... RPG in 2011 for 50 grand or like $49,000 still not out yet and the guy who releases has released literally like dozens of updates like it's coming this Christmas oh no it's spring oh next month it's gonna be done it's gonna be done I think he finally got better at it and he's saying I got this done this week I got this done this week I got this done this week (laughs) Yeah, no, there's there's a website, isfarwestout.com or something like that. <laughs> and the answer is no. Uh, so don't be that guy. Um, so, but, you, you, yeah, playtesting, um, 
It also depends how many playtests you have, uh, playtests you have, and if you get all feedback from like, you get like from ten, like you build a group of people that you wanted to send the game out to, and you send it out to twenty people, and if you get eighteen back, that's about enough. Um, you know, keep in contact with them. So it's it's kind of it's a very there's no like formal guidelines. It's kind of like. Uh, the, the it's managing a lot of different factors, so it just depends on project to project. So yeah, and I think um, this is another thing that a lot of people overlook. I think everybody here probably knows it, but don't expect don't expect Kickstarter to pay your bills. Expect Kickstarter to make enough money to be able to make your thing. Well, I mean, one thing with Kickstarter, you budget in your own time, like for the budget. Don't just be like. I need $1,000 for the cover art, so my Kickstarter is going to be $1,000. Like, that's no, like, put in some own time, your, your own time for it. I mean, I assume most of you will have day jobs and stuff like that, and this is like a part time thing. But, like, uh, try to give yourself some money. If you're putting a lot of time in it, you deserve it. I mean, if, if you're trying to be a professional, you know, uh, put in, yeah, some budget for you if you're doing all the work. Uh, or whoever's, however you like, if you three are dividing it up, like, you get some, you get some, you, depending on how much time and effort you're doing. Uh, but yeah, you you you're not gonna get a whole lot more. You're not gonna like you, you're you're not gonna get like eight hundred grand for you know, like the fake core one did. None of us here are Tim Schafer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, no, fake core is uh, Fred Hicks. Well, no, I was just R-T, saying. Yeah. I was just saying in general like that. Oh yeah, that the double thing. fine. Um, the well, and look what they released. Uh, but yeah. Um, so um, any other questions uh, about specific stuff? They take starter or game design. Or systems licenses, or, or business management, or business management, <laughs> uh, what not to do, um, or let's see. I think one other thing, just to throw in, you were talking about regular contact with your playtesters. Make yeah. sure you have regular contact with everybody, all of your contractors, because um, everybody, everybody has personal lives. Lives, life gets in the way sometimes. If you don't talk to your contractors, there's a chance they might stop talking to you, and yeah. then you all kind of lose track of what's going on and. Um, just make sure, make sure you have, make sure you have a, a regular contact. Uh, just be like, just status updates. Hey, how are you doing? How's this coming along? Don't be pushy. Just kind of ask, ask about things if you don't know anything else to say to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are good points. Um, you, cause yeah, sometimes, uh, they'll forget, like, especially if you hire other writers and stuff like that, other people who are busy, they might forget about your project. Uh, like if it's all a long timeline, so you kind of want to make sure like, Hey, make sure you're doing that thing I'm going to pay you for. Um, or uh, something along those lines. Um, and this is even like, once you get your game out, you might want to think about going to Gen Con or someplace. Uh, you could think about, uh, putting your game, like if you can't afford a, ga- a booth for your game, uh, which is very expensive at Gen Con because you know, not only the booth cost, hotel, travel, getting your product there, and then manning the booth for eight hours a day. You bringing know. all the stuff to bring in your booth. Yeah. Um, you could split the cost. There are there's the IGDN, the Independent Game Developers Network. Uh, there's also Indie Press Revolution. Uh, they have booths where they have products from multiple developers. And so you can get your product there for a fraction of the cost, and they'll have people to watch the booth for you and sell it. Um, also, the main thing for marketing the game, once you get it out, is demos at cons, like run games, like set up, sign it, set up official events, because people will try your game out just, you know, yeah. like, oh, that sounds cool. I've, yeah, I've had plenty of people that came to games that I was running at Gen Con from other systems. It's like, I just, I go to Gen Con to play games I've never heard of. Yeah. Yeah, they try something new, so like, be give them that option, um, you know, and get your hardcore fans to help you, like, give them rewards for running demos at their local game store, 
Uh, you know, I mean, some, some of the you know, Paizo does an amazing job of supporting Pathfinder. Like, it's just in like wow, like the organized Pathfinder Society and all that other shit. Like, that's amazing. Um, you have a web. Make sure you regularly update your website or your social media or whatever you use to talk to people on the internet. If it's a Twitter or Tumblr or Pinterest or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, it's it's super easy to set up any kind of uh, major. It, it's easy enough to set up any kind of blog or podcast these days. There's so many. There's so many different ways to do it. Yeah. And so that you, yeah, that people don't forget about you because, um, and then also try and support your game, uh, with like little PDF releases, uh, like for base raiders, I release PDF only supplements, like here's a new villain for the game, or here's some new items, you know, some ray guns and pew, 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 and like people like that stuff, uh, because it also generates interest on drive through RPG. You put up your new PDF, you're like, oh, what's this? Oh, this is for this game. What is this? And then they buy the game. Yeah. It's so. uh, it's it's also the reason that uh, the rock stars don't just keep releasing greatest hits albums. You release a new thing so that people will do a tour of all your products. Yeah. Um, so you get that. Um, yeah, definitely, if you're going to sell a game, if you're going to have an RPG, make sure you set it up on drive through RPG, because that's by far the it's, biggest. Yeah. Electronic retailer RPGs. They, they do take a pretty big cut, but they also handle everything for you. Yeah, um, uh, up they, to and including printing. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, print on demand, so they're totes worth it. Uh, yeah. You said uh, IGN. IGDN, Independent Game Developers Network, uh, and they kind of, from what I know of them, they kind of focus on the storytelling side, like Fiasco and Our Last Best Hope, and those kind of like really small games that are very storytelling and experimental uh, but they you know you should you talk to they have a booth here you can go talk to them right now you know as soon as you're done what was the other one uh, Indie Press Revolution um, they're they're uh, yeah just they're a, yeah they're a super interesting company in that they'll they'll not only print your book they'll find physical stores that will sell yeah, it yeah that's another whole thing distribution like once you get a game app holy shit that's a fucking yeah, it's a fun. lot easier now. It's a lot easier now with the internet. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're shaking your head back here, like. <laughs> um, any final questions? Uh, anything? Um, yeah. Well, so you're talking about like the elevator pitch kind of idea. Yes. Sentence or so. Mm-hmm. So, would a good practice be to not have anything talking about any mechanics of your game in your elevator pitch? Um, it's okay to have a mechanic if you can d- explain... If the mechanic is the most important thing of the game. Yeah, if it's the most important thing of the game. Like, if you have a unique hook to it, like, Fiasco is like, oh, it's a GMless game where everyone, you know, everyone plays someone in a Coen Brothers movie, you know, like, that's a mechanical hook, uh, and that works. But don't just say, we got some critical hit tables, you know, like, that's, you know... So, like, try out different elevator pitches and see what kind of feedback you get. So, you know, trial and error. So, like, um, but yeah, you can't, you can only focus on a few things. If you try and make it about everything, it's about nothing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, just a central, a central focus helps the, I mean, a central focus will help you make a thing. You can't, like, um, <laughs> I mean, we already talked, we already talked about that, oh, well, we already talked about that in the beginning, but I mean, yeah. if you think about Fantasy Flight games, they didn't make a game, they didn't make Warhammer 40k, the RPG they split it up and they split it up into all of the different like oh, all yeah. the dozens of different things you can do in Warhammer because it, it's it's too the the fiction they've set up is too broad. There's too many factions. There's too many sub factions. Like there's yeah. too many stories that can be made if you make something if you make something that's like space opera. 
Yeah. Or space crusade. Space Nazis. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Space Hitlers. Yeah, space fascists. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but, like, even if you're doing a mechanical, like, you could do a mechanical pitch for Rogue Trader, be like, it's, you know, you're, you're, it, it's evil Star Trek, you're making money, you're exploiting, you're going to, you know, you're exploring bold new worlds and making money. There's a profit system, you can exploit the shit out of things, you're yeah. super rich. Uh, yes? So they kind of comment on that, I think it's just, like, important to, I've seen descriptions of RPGs go like, our system is so brilliant because you roll a D4 to do this, or yeah. something like that, it's like, no, like, say what you can do with your mechanics, don't say what your mechanics yeah. are. Nobody cares that you have like a whole dice pool system in Fiasco. Like, right. Another thing, another way to be like Eclipse Phase, you could pitch and be like, your body is gear. You can change your body. It's like, yeah. it's replaceable. And you'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I'll try that out. Um, so that's another way of doing that. Um, yeah. Uh, any, yeah, so any final thoughts? Uh, for me, it's, yeah, like, game design is very rewarding. Uh, and it's a, you know, it, it can be profitable, actually, believe it or not. Um, you just have to put in the work. You have to, uh, oh, the other thing I was, was going to mention, aside from learning from other games, don't just focus on games. Good game designers have, like, try and take in, learn, you know, try and keep learning throughout your life. Uh, read a variety of books, not just your favorite genre or whatever. Read nonfiction. Uh, watch documentaries. Try and, you know, be experienced, you know, I don't know. Uh, draw from life, you know. Uh, like Ken Hyde says, if you cut history, it bleeds weird. So yeah. you can find weird shit and then put it into, you know, uh, make the you know the Nazi or space orcs a metaphor for Calvinism, you know, or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, I know that was that was kind of the big thing. Um, similarly to that, um, one of the big things about sort of dystopia is that it's um, Nate, the author, had a lot of uh, had a lot of personal issues um, uh, that he which all kind of stem from capitalism and so many of the things in this many of the things in sort of dystopia are capitalist metaphors yeah. um, and different ways that that all comes out and so even if even though that game even though that game is about like is about Victorian dark fantasy after the end of the world he managed to actually incorporate those the elements elements that he drew from his own personal life into all of these different cultures of people and how and how all of these things work and that's why on some level these things are also all of these things that are so foreign are still relatable yeah uh, good point um, I think that ends the panel uh, if you have any questions you can talk to us afterwards uh, if you have tickets please bring them up so yeah, if you have any uh, tickets bring them up if you want our contact information yeah. here's Ross's business cards here's my business cards alright thank you thank, thank you, you for, for attending enjoy the rest of your gym con thank you.